This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Second hour of Seattle Sports at Night. Shout out to you for stopping by. Coors Light text line is there for you, 710-710. Coming up at the end of this hour, we answer your questions in Ask Us Anything. That's right. Anything you can ask us. Doesn't mean we'll answer it, but we'll try our best. That's coming up at 8.45 in this hour. But uh, tonight, Stacy, Jake, I'm missing out on the Survivor finale right now. I know. We talked about the sacrifices we've yeah, all made exactly. to be here. That's like, tough, Curtis. Think I'm about sorry. the sacrifices we've DV- made. Can you DVR it yeah, at least? I am, but okay. it's going on right now. And I mean, I'm sorry. Twitter's blowing up, or at least my Twitter well, is. Well, the point is that you have to dodge spoilers now. Yeah. Um, but think of the, the sacrifices we are making to be on the air tonight. Oh, I'm missing the Survivor finale. I would love to be home catching up on some of my HBO shows. There was a, a nice clay mask that I wanted to use. Mm-hmm. And then Jake... Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I, you know, I'm I'm missing out on putting my you know two year old son to bed, right. and Jake, I got my pregnant wife at home. Exactly. To, to yeah, take care these of. are all on these are all level. serious things. Like that... these are <laughs> things that measure up equally in and, terms of importance. And I feel like that's why we make such a good team because we're all kind of putting in the same sacrifice. The, the we sac- are. You're right. You're right. Absolutely. And and it's it's nice to know that it makes my sacrifice a lot easier knowing that you guys are mm. right there with mm. me. Thank you. Yes. Shout out to Brooke. Yeah. <laughs> We're sorry. She's the champion. True, yeah. The true champion of the, the Yes. Night. Thank you for sharing your Jacob yep, with us. Thank you for letting us borrow him for today. <laughs> Seattle Sports Night right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. too much. Oh, man. But the, the Mariners, they put Felix Hernandez on the injured list, and it looks like he's going to be out for – Quite some time, about yeah. four to six weeks. And what's weird about this is that up until a couple weeks ago, Felix Hernandez looked like he may have turned a corner. It looked like he had regained just a little bit of the form that made him the best pitcher in Mariners franchise history. There was a start against the Padres where he struck out, I think it was nine guys, and then another start after that, he looked real good as well. But we've seen him his last two outings against the Yankees and against, I think it was the Red Sox, just get roughed up. He got teed off on, and then the Mariners go and put him on the injured list. And there have been multiple instances in baseball history and really in sports history where teams have kind of faked an injury for players. Have you ever faked an injury? Have I? I know I'm getting a little off base here, but it just kind of came to mind. Uh, no, I have not faked an injury. Okay. Like, I, yeah. Not Never for, like, attention? No. Anything. Actually, there was an instance of this in baseball a couple days ago. Derek Holland, who's a pitcher for the Giants, told the media that the Giants front office wanted him to fake an injury. To be honest, I have no idea what they're doing. And I don't mean that by boaching them. It's more from the front office. Uh we keep changing a lot of things. I did a fake injury, so I'm, I'm not happy about that. So, Yeah. Charlie but, Conway would not be cool with that. No. Yeah. So, like, he's selling his front office out. I don't think we're going to hear that from Felix at any point. Uh, but there is a possibility that this could be an injury that isn't as severe as the Mariners are giving him a timetable for. And we've seen it. The Mariners are now under 500 on the season after their – Horrid start. 
it got Jim Moore wondering, is Felix's injury legit? Is this something that is actually worthy of a six-week absence? Because he went and researched average healing times from lat strains, and it was about half of what the Mariners are giving Felix this window here. When you look at Felix Hernandez and what he has accomplished here, is it what he has done? Is that worthy of a sendoff, or are the Mariners just kind of pushing him aside in hopes that people kind of forget about him as the season goes along? It's interesting, Curtis, because if it's the latter of what you're thinking about, that the Mariners are trying to hold Felix out and trying to get people to forget about him, I don't think Felix would go down quietly. Honestly, I, th- I think that there's been enough defiance from Felix Hernandez and what we've heard this offseason from a media perspective and enter- any interview that he's given. I think that there is enough defiance in him that would that would point it out and would say, look, I'm not okay with this. I want to play. I want to compete. Um, and, and let me get my opportunities out there. Let me continue to pitch. Um, and and if, if Felix was faking an injury – uh, the other side is is I don't think the Mariners would, would care too much in this case. But I do think it's funny that we are speculating on a guy who we have no idea whether this is legit or not, and we have no, nothing else to go on other than that it is legit. And I know this is baseball and this is a totally different thing, but like in, in football, for example, this concept, this idea is completely foreign to me. You're either healthy or you're not. It's either proven and you go out there and play – or you're, or if you're really that soft, you're going to get cut, right? Like eventually, you're going to get cut. You're going to be gone from the team. So this is a this is a totally different world uh, and, and topic for me to be thinking about. I just feel like at this point in time, no matter what, uh, this is really kind of the end of the road for Felix Hernandez, and it's a shame because uh, although he has had his struggles and his last two outings were a definite struggle, he's had flashes of really good moments here. Uh, so far in this past month, and I would have been, I would have loved to have seen if he could have recaptured it. If, if this was something that yeah. he could have eventually gotten over, and in his early 30s, be able to prolong his career. And unfortunately, uh, for us as Mariner fans and and Felix Hernandez fans moving forward, this is just to me, this is kind of a, a signifier of the end for Felix Hernandez uh, with the Mariners. Yeah, and I feel like that's why this turns into a conversation, because I don't really think... I mean, does anyone really think that he's faking an injury? I don't. No. I think that people... And the numbers would suggest that he's not faking this, because his effectiveness in the month of May has just been dismal. I mean, he's allowed seven runs in each of his starts. This is coming off a month in which he finished with an ERA of 4.3 in the month of April, which... And, you know, in terms of Felix's entire career, that's not good. But over the course of Felix's last three or four seasons, that's actually pretty good. And his last two starts of the month were among his best, striking out eight in both games. We saw him add that curveball that he had been relying on in both of those starts, and it, it produced great results. It produced a lot of swings and misses, which is something that Felix hasn't done over the last couple of seasons. And, you know, to see him go from that Felix at the end of April to where he is right now in the middle of May so quickly, I think that's what has led a lot of people to be like, you know, is this an actual injury or not? Like, or are you just, are you ineffective right now when the Mariners want to keep you away from the mound 
so that you don't hurt their chances of staying in a, an AL wild card race of the sort. Yeah, no, and that's, I still don't think that. I still think, I mean, I don't know. I, that I feel like I've heard more split opinions about. I still think it's just if Felix Hernandez wasn't in this very unique and unfortunate spot of being a former star and centerpiece of an organization that that now finds himself outside of that role, then then I think this isn't a conversation at all. And I and I think that Seattle just doesn't even have the rotation to even try to keep him away. And maybe I'm wrong, but that seems to me like something that they they don't have well, the cards to do. Am I wrong? Well, You're Wade saying Le- they should call up someone. Well, they're about to because Wade LeBlanc just made a rehab start in AAA okay. a couple nights ago. It appears as though LeBlanc is going to rejoin the rotation in the next couple of days, probably going to be available during this Minnesota series. And so because of LeBlanc's improved health now, it the Mariners kind of had to make a move in that rotation. And... It's just right, kind of coincidental. Well yeah, it's just kind of okay. coincidental that it came to Felix's injury being put on the injured list. That that's why he's there. It's circumstantial. You make, you make fair it, points, Curtis. Thank you, thank you, Stacy. <laughs> thank you. Uh, coming up next here on Seattle Sports at Night, the NBA draft lottery happened a night ago, and there are still ripple effects throughout the sports world because of it, which got me wondering: Why does the NFL not have a draft lottery? We talk that next. Curtis Rogers, Stacy Ross, Jay Keeps, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jay Keeps, and Stacy Ross. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Listen to Seattle Sports at Night via the 710 Sports app. It is driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers coming up at 845. We're taking your questions. Ask us anything. Text those into the Coors Light text line, 710-710. Last night, the NBA draft lottery came and went, and it was a very, as it always is, there's controversy because of the teams that win it or the teams that come close to winning it. Last night, it was New Orleans who won the Zion Williamson sweepstakes you had the Knicks and Lakers also in the top four, the two most revenue-producing teams in the entire NBA. Uh, so a little fishy there. But I think all in all, the NBA lottery succeeds in bringing eyes to that event. It is, there's, no, there's no game being played, but it was still the biggest story of the night last night, bigger than the Warriors beating the Blazers, an actual NBA playoff mm. game. Whereas today we are still talking about the draft lottery and how the Pelicans got the ping pong balls to bounce their way, and now they're now they're going to have Zion Williamson in their franchise's hands for the next probably four or five years at the very least. It got me wondering: Could we see that in the NFL one day? Because the NFL loves to make events and spectacles out of the most mundane things. They make schedule release day I hope a big not. deal. They do. And I still remember to this day that, that last season when the schedule was released, there was an entire segment about when Jimmy Garoppolo might lose his first game. Like This was a segment. And I get it, right? Like, hi, we're in sports radio. We have to think of, of segments for every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, <laughs> and sometimes you run out of ideas and you got to think hypothetical things. But I just feel like this doesn't fit with, the NFL 
And it's almost like the NBA draft lottery fits with how people consume the sport. Like NBA, it's why it's like the best NBA Twitter is the best Twitter. Like it's just, it, it is more of like a spectacle versus I think the draft, you, you try your hardest to make it, to make parody. Yeah, I, this is, it's interesting because with the NFL and the NBA, one player can have a, a major significant impact on your franchise, mm-hmm. right? One player, one decision. And especially for the NFL, I mean, the only real comparison I can draw to that that, that could really equivalent to, to the NBA is the quarterback position. If you get a game changer at the quarterback position in the first round, he can alter the course of your franchise. Whereas you get a LeBron James, a Zion Williamson, those types of players can alter your franchise uh, from a downward trajectory, which w- was the Pelicans, uh, to now putting them potentially in the forefront of NBA playoff conversations for years to come. Uh, f- for the NFL, for h- as popular as the NFL is, uh, this is one way that the NBA can create a lot of drama and mm-hmm. a lot of and draw eyes to the NBA one more time. Whereas I don't feel like the NFL has a problem doing that no. with their current draft structure. So it, would there really be a benefit to the NFL to do it this way versus the way that they've always done it? It's a good question because I don't think there would be. I'll but say what, this, say you, though. Curtis? I'll say this. We've seen the NFL draft experience go from a single day. It was a Saturday back in the day. That's all it was. It was Saturday, all seven rounds from like 9 a.m. to like 5 p.m. That's right. how they got it done. We've now seen the NFL draft get extended out to three days over the weekend, starting Thursday night primetime, Friday, then all day Saturday. We've seen the NFL Combine go from a non-televised event that was done in the bowels of the Colt Stadium to now it is primetime television viewing. They, there's talk that they're going to stretch it out over two weeks now. We've seen the NFL turn these mundane events that you know the NFL draft was done in like the ballroom of a hotel back in the day. Now they're sell- they're having two hundred thousand people fill the streets. It looks like a concert, exactly. Of these cities across the NFL, it's going to be in Las Vegas next year. The NFL loves absolutely loves turning the most mundane things into something of importance. The draft order is something that. We kind of all know what it's going to be sort of like around week 15, week 16. Week 17 is when it's set in stone. But what if you put all 20 teams that miss the playoffs, if you put ping pong balls in there, and let's say you're a 9-7 and team, and you get some ping pong balls to bounce your way, you get the number one pick. Let's say the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who finished, what, 9-7 and this year, they finish atop the NFL lottery. They take Nick Bosa or somebody like that. Holy cow. Like that team becomes a really good team. And, you know, maybe they were missing a piece like that. Or what if the Cardinals don't win the lottery and they fall down to pick four or five? Is Kyler Murray going to be available for them? Like that throws a big wrench into how teams would go about building their franchise. It's true. It's very true. I, I, I agree with that. I just also. I look at it from the standpoint of, uh, I would it give a the way that I was looking at this when when this first was brought up, Curtis is I was trying to think does this give let's say team twenty that normally would be drafting 
in the number 20 slot in the NFL draft mm-hmm. in the first round. Does that give them any significant advantage over a team that would typically get the number one overall pick, the worst team in the NFL? Well, and I think what you risk, too, is that you have even more. There's already conspiracy theories about the draft, the NBA draft, that everyone <laughs> kind of believes. They're hardly conspiracy theories. But I think on the NFL, that carries... I don't know. The commissioner is not as popular. The the league, I don't know if people have. I just I just think the the league itself lends itself to a narrative that that is a little more conspiracy laden, no? I think yeah, the NBA certainly does because referees Layden. have yeah, <laughs> referee laden. Uh the <laughs> NBA has definitely had more instances of conspiracy or, or rumors of that just over the years. I mean, you had a referee who was found and convicted of gambling on games that he was refereeing, and Tim Donahue. And you've got other instances where we talked about it, what was it, last night, the frozen envelope in the 1985 NBA lottery. Um, but I think the NFL, you look at the, I guess, you look at, the NFL, I don't think you have an issue with tanking because it's really hard to sandbag it in the NFL because if you do, you run the risk of injury mm-hmm. because if you're not going all out at, at the entire time, it's really easy to tell on an NFL field. Whereas on a, on a basketball court, it's a little more difficult to tell because game 80-82 and you're on an 18-win Memphis Grizzly team, like obviously you're not going to be going out there trying your hardest. You, your season was over back in December. But the draft lottery is in place, I think, to keep from these bad teams continuing to be bad. It gives them a reason to win because you've got, like, yeah, you but can't you, continually you, have the same teams. It's true, but you also look one. at it convenience-wise and you, and you look at the history – it just so happens that most of the teams that end up getting the number one overall lottery pick or in the top five are the worst teams in the NBA. Mm-hmm. There is coincidence in that. And so from a conspiracy standpoint, I can understand why there are so many people that don't really be- believe the validity of the lottery, the actual true lottery. So I don't know. I think there's things to go back and forth on. But would it be fun to watch, Curtis? Absolutely, it would. Yeah, I, I would tune in. I, mean, I, I would. I would love to watch it. Like I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about the NBA draft lottery twenty four hours after the fact. The NFL is bigger and it matters more in the in America. We would be talking about it a week after the. You fact. know what would be cooler is what if instead there's a wind tunnel and you have to it's someone you have has, to grab the dollar bills. Yeah, well, or someone like in Matilda, <laughs> like they're covered in honey, and then whatever sticks they come out, and then those are the top five teams. That would be pretty good. It's just something to think about. There you go. Or you. Uh, you have like an elephant at the zoo. You line up all the teams and whichever one he walks towards to. Yeah, I think that would be way too much risk to the animal. There are way too many <laughs> fanatical fans out there that would. Oh yeah. Not all of a sudden, you get really, game. really mad. Yes, there's a that, hit on the then, animal. Then there'd exactly. be conspiracy. Like, oh, what if you put his favorite food behind their logo? Everyone like, would be like, I saw peanut butter behind the Browns helmet. Mm, I, I'm telling you, you think I'm, you think I'm joking? <laughs> yeah, to me, it's not a matter of. Of entertainment, I think that the NFL 
the NFL's draft formula, I think, works just fine for them, and they can find a way to to make that even bigger every single year. We will see. Don't say I didn't warn you. I'm not. I think the NBA. I why think, are you threatening me, Curtis? Why? Why is this personal? I want this to happen so bad. <laughs> Coming up next, big if true. Somebody at ESPN says the Seahawks don't have Doug Baldwin's replacement in tow. We'll tell you who said that next. Coming up on Seattle Sports Net on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. We need your text questions. Yeah, De- Curtis. Desperate times, measures, and people. That's what we are here. On Seattle Sports at Night. Come on, people. Anything you want to ask. Coors Light text line, it is there for you. 710-710. Should we just go around saying one word at a time? Yeah, that's what I thought we were doing. (laughs) Okay. Please. (laughs) Text. Us. Now. Thanks. That's cute. Nailed it. Big if true. (laughs) So... The Seahawks, life without Doug Baldwin, as we know it, will... It's begun. He's not a Seahawk anymore. They released him last week. Uh, he wrote the big heartfelt letter to himself uh, on Twitter. So all signs point to him officially being retired here. So how are the Seahawks going to replace Doug Baldwin on their offense? Well, do they have the guy who's going to step in into Baldwin's shoes and, and give even a fraction of his production. Well, one ESPN personality doesn't think that guy is currently on the Seahawks roster, so that brings us to to tonight's Big If True. This can't be happening! Big. This can't be serious, man. If. Did Did he he say say that? that? True. History is going to change. The bottom line on the hottest opinions of the day. You cannot be serious! Tonight's Big If True comes to us from Darren Woodson, former Cowboys safety from the 90s, who actually, within the last 24 hours, is no longer with ESPN because he's gone into the commercial real estate business. Really? Not even joking. So this was like the last thing he ever said on ESPN. This is parting shot. He said... I leaned into the mic to get my laugh in. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that, Stacy. You got it. So Darren Woodson on NFL Live... Uh, said that, you know what, he doesn't think Doug Baldwin's replacement is on the Seahawks roster. Look at Doug Baldwin over the years. We know he's been an edgy personality. Angry he's been, Doug. Yeah, angry Angry Doug. Doug. Yeah, he's feisty. <laughs> he gets in your face. He never backs down. And they've lost a lot of that over the years. Richard Sherman gone. But this personality, not only is he the great personality in that locker room, but he's a guy who's the only wide receiver on that team that could win one-on-one coverage. Press man-to-man coverage. He found the ways to create separation, win those battles on his own, especially in a slot. He was impossible to cover one-on-one in the slot, so you always had to adjust that way. I don't know if they – I don't see a guy on that, on that roster right now. Tyler Lockett's a go-to guy as far as going deep down the field. But to win within that 10-yard area, they don't have a guy on that roster that's going to be like Doug Baldwin. Now that is big if true. Which it is true. Whoa. It is true. Why do you think that, G? Here's the thing. Doug Baldwin brings so much to this team. Brings so much. And it's not just the on-field production. It's the leader that he is off the field, on the field. And, and like Darren Woodson said, that edge that he brings every single day. He brings that. He brings that level of accountability not only to his quarterback, his receivers, his teammates, but also the front office. 
And I think that's also where you've got a lot of friction and tension that has been created over the years. And you could say that's positive or negative. To me, it's more of a positive than it is a negative. Sometimes in a locker room, you have to have guys that are willing to stand up and say things in uncomfortable situations. Now, Doug, Richard Sherman, some of these other guys have stepped up and said things that I personally do not agree with. And there's been some things that they've said that I have agreed with. And I can appreciate that their willingness to stand up and say what they feel. Now, with Richard Sherman leaving and getting out the door, obviously I think there was a lot more things that were contentious in that personality uh, that ultimately they felt it was best uh, for him to depart uh, from their franchise. For Doug Baldwin, I think this last year was very, very tough for him. And would the Seahawks organization love to have Doug Baldwin for one more year? Absolutely. So this was a situation where they were not necessarily prepared for Doug to leave. They are having to find a replacement for Doug. Can Tyler Lockett step up and fill the void? Yes. But you cannot replace those years of production, that those seven years of chemistry that Russell and Doug have developed over time, and especially when it comes to third downs. I know Lockett has been explosive. I know that he had an unbelievably efficient year last year. But there's something about that relationship, that chemistry, on third down and in critical moments in man-to-man coverage that Doug Baldwin just always found a way to get open and Russell Wilson always found a way to find him. Yeah, I I think in that way, I almost agree. Like, it's not – I didn't read it as Seattle doesn't have potential, and they don't – and I think that's how it's – initially framed as though he's saying like they don't they don't have anything there they don't have they don't have anyone to literally play in that position and I think that they've got some promise and John Ursua Gary Jennings even Tyler Lockett there can play that position but I think Jake's right and and honestly uh, I think Darren's right in that sense that it's really hard to replace eight years of NFL experience and not only that but that Baldwin was uniquely a veteran on Seattle's offense. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of veterans with the same like seven, eight years of experience that might be more or less useful to their own teams. And, and Baldwin's at the top of that scale. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other side of it too, is, is that look at who they've tried to fill in that role is you got a lot of guys that, that are trying to either emulate or are different from Doug. You've got DK Metcalf and Gary Jennings. Both those guys are very different in terms of body type and also their game. Gary Jennings has had a lot of, uh, in his college career, played in the slot, but he's also 6'1", 215 pounds, uh, and runs a 4-440. So I, I think that they look at him more as an outside receiver than they do as an inside receiver. doesn't mean that that won't be explored and, and he could maybe play that role, but they're looking at John Ursua to be that exact comp to Doug Baldwin. He is the guy that they want to ultimately replace Doug. They John Ursua was the guy that they drafted, got back into the draft to get him. Uh, and they don't do that unless they really feel strongly about that player. So when you're looking at do they have a replacement, that's the guy that you're looking at. Uh, are they able to replace that production overall? That's where you really hope DK Metcalf, Gary Jennings, David Moore, uh, Jerome Brown can fill that void and have that strong competition going into OTAs and training camp, and and hopefully those guys emerge because the void that is left right now is massive. 
It is a, a it, big shoes to fill doesn't even quantify what they're going into. Is it impossible? Can they do it? They absolutely can. And I think they found the right pieces. Uh, but as of right now, it's, it's daunting to look at uh, replacing Doug and moving forward. Um, but if you got a guy like DK, he fits more into the mold of what they're looking for in a deep play-action pass game that is trying to stretch the field vertically with the best pl- deep play-action passer in the NFL and Russell Wilson. I think to expect a rookie wide receiver to come in and put up even three-quarters of the numbers that Doug Baldwin would do is pretty absurd. I, I don't... I mean, rookie wide receivers, if they have a season in which they finish with 500, 600 yards, that's a smashing success. And I to expect that some guy on this roster is going to emerge out of nowhere, because beyond David Moore, beyond Jerron Brown, there really isn't a whole lot of wide receiver experience behind Lockett, Moore, and Brown. Like Those three guys are really the only guys who have ever done it at the NFL level in the Seahawks locker room right now. And to expect one of these receivers to go from, you know, college gridiron to the NFL and not just like, not just latch on, but also have a huge year. I mean, people expect DK Metcalf to come in and be amazing. He never once had a thousand yard season in his college career. Right. Like he was, he's a workout warrior. And in the limited time in which he played in college, he put up big numbers. He put up eye-popping numbers. Had at what twenty-one yards per reception average his last season at Ole Miss. But to think he's going to come in and be as efficient as Doug Baldwin and to be as game-changing as Baldwin, like this is the kind of receiver that comes through your program. Yeah, once a decade, mm-hmm. if that. Absolutely, and that's where you're hoping that DK Metcalf can kind of be an outlier from his college career. That he can stay healthy. That he can be productive for an entire season and that you can unlock and place him into this system that's better the other thing that you think about is when Doug Baldwin tweeted out the the pictures that he did and the statements that he did and he specifically uh, pointed out to Daryl Bevel Daryl Bevel's system his passing system directly benefited Doug Baldwin and it accentuated Doug's strengths he found ways to uh, help Doug at the line of scrimmage in terms of man-to-man plays, uh, setting him up for success, uh, putting him in the best situations, uh, and, and really, really uh, targeting him going in these, uh, these speed cross routes that they would like to call it uh, over the middle of the field, uh, man-to-man situations. I mean, D- uh, Bevel put Doug in great, great scenarios. Now, I say that to say Doug Baldwin was playing a different role, so to speak, it was almost like they were trying to latch on and hold on to some of the Daryl Bevel offense to keep Doug involved in the scheme and system because that's what he did best. And now with Doug gone, you might see a change a little bit more in the passing game and the scheme overall because of what Brian Schottenheimer ultimately wants to do and has found different receivers that have different strengths than what Doug does. Good it's question. Really interesting. Uh, good question from the 253 coming in on the Coors Light text line. We're looking at wide receivers replacing Doug Baldwin's production, but they say what effect could a a deep tight end room have on filling the gap left by Baldwin? Is there anybody in the tight end group that you could see emerge as a pass catcher right now when that's not really the role the Seahawks have for their tight end? It's not. I mean, Disley was the strongest candidate last year, but he wasn't even expected to be 
uh, an insane pass catcher. They did right. say like he 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 can catch. Like he he's being praised as this amazing blocking tight end, but but we're depending on him for that too. But I think he really surprised people. And and with only four games, it's kind of hard yeah. to tell what that's going to look like. Um, and, and again, it, just different yeah. roles. To well, me. And, like, and, it's not. Yeah, and has he developed that re- relationship and chemistry right. with Russ? That's huge. I, I don't. I don't think so up to this point. Uh, and in a stacked room, I don't think this room is stacked. I don't think you got receiving, you know, guys after receiving guys that can really impact the game. They've you got really, bodies. You have really good, yeah. solid tight ends. Yeah, you do, but they're primarily what their strengths are is run blocking. Ed Dixon, he is not known for being a game changer in the passing game. He is more known for being a very, very solid run blocker. Um, Will Disley, same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do believe Will Disley has the most upside and and can develop into the next Zach Miller and be a little bit more athletic than what Zach Miller was. But that's what you're looking at from your tight end position. You're not going to find a guy who's going to eventually get 50 to 60 receptions in a season. So it's really got to come from the the receiver group and and can Tyler step up his game that much more can he be a a guy that doesn't just get 50 catches but is getting 60 70 catches in a season can DK Gary Jennings uh again David Moore and Jaron Brown whoever wins those competitions can they up their game and provide a boost and I and I agree with you Curtis that to to think that DK Metcalf is just going to be the X receiver starter every single down every single game probably isn't reality. It's probably going to be by committee. And I think that's why you draft Gary Jennings in the fourth round because he can also play the X receiver position. And so you're looking at those two rookies. Hopefully they can step up and, and, and give a great contribution uh, to this team. Coming up next on Seattle Sports Tonight, we wrap up every single show the same exact way with Ask Us Anything, your questions on the Coors Light text line. We need them, 710-710. We do that next. Curtis Rogers, Stacey Ross, Jake Heaps, Seattle Sports Night, 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's your turn to join the show. Ask us anything on the Coors Light text line, 710-710. Seattle Sports at Night here with you for just a few more moments on 710 ESPN. Make sure you're downloading the podcast, 710sports.com. Click on the podcast page. You can download the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. It's all there for you. Well, just as we're here for you. I know. I've got some good ones already. Stacy, what are you seeing out there? Uh... First, from the 360, they just want to hear Jake's opinion, specifically Jake's opinion of the Geno Smith signing. Why not my mm. opinion? Why not <laughs> Stacy's opinion? Keep it quick. I got some good ones in yeah, here. Yeah, to me, I think that's a good signing. I think this is the right move for them to bolster the, the quarterback competition uh, for Paxton Lynch. To me, this is Paxton Lynch. If you're trying to slate him as your guy, I think it's the wrong move. This is a former first-round pick for the Denver Broncos that got himself out of the league extremely fast, not just for his lack of production on the field, but there were a ton of questions about him off the field and his motivation and his work ethic. So you're bringing that kind of guy in, hoping that he can revitalize his career and change that aspect of him personally. And the only way that you truly do that is by bringing in a legit uh, competition with uh, a guy like Geno Smith. So I think overall it's the best thing for this team. The 253 says, should I move to San Diego? 
Should you move to San Diego? I say why not? Uh, yeah, I mean... It's it's expensive, though. Yeah. Yeah, the cost of living's for, not cheap down there. Versus here in Seattle? I mean, it's pretty bad here, too. Yeah. It, it's pretty rough here, but why Why would... I think we just need to give a consensus. I think if, if they're single, go for it. Like, if you don't have a spouse to take care of or kids to take care of, I say go for those kinds of moves because you only get so long to do that before you settle down. But if you are married or have kids or in a committed relationship, really think it out because your life is also impacting the lives of those closest to you. From the 206, which 710 host would you want babysitting your kids? I don't have kids, but I almost would pick, I think Dave. Wyman, don't you think? Like Dave, I think Dave. Yeah, <laughs> Wyman. Do Wyman. Would I don't know. It be it would be both funny. No, funny would be funny would be maybe Jim, oh or me gosh. or Jessamine would be <laughs> See, a, a you, mess. You guys are thinking about this all wrong. I would have Brock babysitting my kid, and not because of Brock, but because of Molly. Oh, yeah. If you're oh, babysitting, yeah. See, you're not just doing no, wait, it by yourself. What if it's just the host? If it's just the host? Just the host. Then I'd still feel pretty good about Brock. I feel like Brock would yeah. be on his P's and Q's, but not want to mess he it would. up. You know, he's got, yeah, exactly. He's got three kids. He'd be they like coaching him okay. up. You'd get back yeah. and all of a sudden See, Jackson's doing push-ups. Exactly. And I, I think, it, but the one thing I do fear with Brock is that he might body shame Jackson. Like Uh-oh. your legs, your glutes aren't in the right. Old. Yeah. Your glutes aren't in the right. Dad, know, why do I hate my formally calves? Formally developed. Yeah. That, that's the only thing that I'd be worried about. Here's why I would pick Wyman is because he's kind of in that prime wanting to be a grandparent age. Mm. Good point. And like you give him a, a baby or something, he'll he'll protect it with his life. Dave Wyman, fiercely loyal person. He will guard whatever what it I'm is thinking. with his life. Yeah. I'm picking Wyman on that one. Uh, I'm certainly not picking any of Bob Graz or Tom. No, <laughs> like, no, no, no. But that's Gross. okay because I'm not picking myself. Exactly. So it's fine. Yeah. Um, from the 813, I don't know where that is. Do you guys have any pets? If so, what are their names? Mm. I don't. Yeah, I don't either, but we will soon. We just bought a house, so uh, my wife is a, a big cat person, uh, and so we will definitely have a nice. cat. Nice. Cat people unite. Soon. 813. Yep. We out here. Shout out to Tampa. Maybe it's Bruce oh, Arians texting. Oh, my God. What if it's Bruce? Latin <laughs> <laughs> um, just won in red. <laughs> I have a cat. He doesn't live with me. He lives with my parents. You guys, I am turning. It doesn't matter. Um, I've this cat is <laughs> this cat this cat is 17 years old. Oh my! Wow! God. He is thriving. He wow. he lives on Angle Lake in SeaTac. He loves it. His name's Harley. Wow! Shout out to Angle Lake. They got a they got a light Shout rail out station Harley. out there. Yeah. Um. Someone <laughs> from the 206 for the person moving to San Diego. He says. Single here in SD for a year. If it's a chick, have her hit up your boy. All right. Shout out to my boy. I don't know who you are, 206, uh, but we'll have him hit you up. Jake, do you remember, this is from also from the 206, the first big hit you took in the NFL? First big hit I took in the NFL. Uh, I didn't really take any big hits in the NFL, honestly. Uh, I, I got sacked twice in the NFL, but that was, that was really it. So I, I didn't really take a huge hit in yeah. that scenario either. So fortunate, very fortunate. Uh, this is from, this person says, Woodenville, Edmonds, or Snohomish, where would you want to live? I don't know the what difference is, what between. Is, I yeah. guess Woodenville, they have like wineries and stuff. Yeah, I've got, uh, I'm sorry, one my, of my buddy's parents live out on a golf course out there. 
Yeah. I've lived. I've uh, feels pretty nice. I've not lived in their house. I've house sat them before. Mm. Very nice digs. Stop bragging. <laughs> From the two hundred six about not being able to afford living out there. But... Uh, without saying the name of a restaurant, what's the worst dining experience you've had? Uh, it. Okay, so I will say this. I waited two hours for food, didn't get any. What? And it's two, the name of the restaurant is two male first names, blank and blank. Mm. The first one, think of Wyman's first name. You don't have to get the second one, think of ESPN baseball writer, last name only. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Two hours and you didn't. Were you at least out. able to play some games? No. Oh my gosh, what do you mean, that's play horrible. Games? We don't know where this takes place. They wanted, they, yeah, we don't know where this <laughs> takes place. I'll just say this: they wanted to comp us with game tokens, and we're like, no, that's we not a good comp. No. Exactly. What are you kidding Jake, me? Jake, have you had a bad one? No, I mean not like a horrible one, but uh, look, there's a couple things that you can do as a waiter or a waitress, and you've got Brooke and I's business forever. Okay, one. Make sure our, our drinks are constantly refilled and don't ask us if we want more. Yes, we want more, okay? <laughs> we do want more drinks. Do we want more chips and bread? Yes, we do. We're stop not making, insane. Stop making us feel guilty Dude, about free it. Free restaurant and bread's the best. Th- there have been people that have looked at us like, are you kidding me? You want more? Yes. Don't make me feel bad about Ooh, it. Ooh, don't. Yeah, if you're a waiter or waitress, you can never judge how much food someone eats ever. Don't do that. I, I feel like it happens to us a lot, which also makes me wonder what's wrong with us because do we eat an obscene amount of bread and chips? Everyone I, I does. I don't know. Everyone. There's nothing wrong with getting that second basket no. of chips at a Mexican second? restaurant. Uh, we're, talking, we're talking about fourth and fifth, yeah. homie. We're, we're, yeah. we're going deep. I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> yeah. That second Sec- basket of chips. <laughs> Uh, okay. Second basket before <laughs> the drinks come out. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. You go through the chips. I haven't had a bad one, but just the one I've told you before, Curtis, where we ordered food and then we didn't get it for like an hour oh. and we went to the bar. <laughs> I'm not going to use the language that was used, but we went to the bar and we said, hey, what happened? And he said, oh, she quit. So the waitress just quit. I had uh, some go, wild wild real, service real, one time. Real quick, Curtis, going off of that second, that second chips deal, I go in there trying to make a statement. I want to get to my second bread or my second chips before the drinks come because I want them to know how serious I am about it. Just keep it coming. I don't mess around. Exactly. And there was a time me and my buddies, we were out eating breakfast in downtown Kent, and this bus boy just absolutely unloaded on another this worker at the restaurant. This is the funniest thing I've ever heard. Are you and, kidding me? I mean, I, I can't, you can't say words. I can't use the language in what he, in what he said, but... Uh, the busboy got nudged by this worker, and he yelled out an expletive and was like, Push me again! <laughs> Push me again! Oh See what happens! God. No way! Yeah, and he slammed his tray of dishes down and stormed out of the restaurant. We actually Push came back. Again. We actually wow. came back about a month later, and, and we're like, "Yeah, what was up with that?" And then, like, our waitress that day, she was like, "Oh yeah, that guy, he he quit right on the spot." It was it was yeah, him. I would say so. Hit hit the breaking point. That, All right, does that do it? That does it for us. I'll have us. to save the other ones. Yeah, we've oh, got a lot. I'll save them. I'll save them. Okay, that's good. Uh, but, yeah, we will be back with you tomorrow night following the Mariners postgame show. Thank you so much for stopping by here on this Wednesday. For Stacey Rost and Jake Heaps, I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Seattle Sports Night on 710 ESPN Seattle.